Back in August, we had our Words Alive Bible exhibition, and during that, we did some video interviews. And there's one particular uh, video interview that uh, I just it keeps coming back to me. It kind of haunts me a bit, and I want to uh, show it to you now. Striving for happiness and fulfilment. Oh, God knows. <laughs> That's probably, I've no idea. Say yes to everything and go skydiving. What is life all about? Having fun and traveling. <laughs> That's a question. question. That's life is all about. No, like uh, let's be enjoy, like try no, to it's be being happy. happy. Yeah, being happy. Sure. <laughs> Never saying no. What is life all about? Being happy. Who knows? I don't know what life's all about. Way you can live life to the max is uh, make sure you're true to your own sense of joy. Never let it go. Never give it up. Hold on to it, tooth and nail. Life is all about recording all of your experiences so that when you die, you can upload them into the collective conscious. And that way, God can truly know itself. That was uh, love and understanding. Hit the bottle. Steaming. <laughs> Football. Don't you I'm know yet. I'm living the dream. It's a bit philosophical for a Saturday morning. Also, quite quite a lot of things, just um, helping everyone else out and being as good a person as you can be. Of living life to the max, it's about doing everything you do with enthusiasm and commitment. I wish I knew life was all about. I'm still searching on that one. But you can only live life to the max really by focusing on the present. What's life all about? Well that's quite simple. People have been wondering what life's all about for years. I've no idea what life is all about. Life's about life and I mean you can't answer that simply. What is life all about? What is life all about? I haven't got a clue. Quite interesting, all the younger people uh, just thought it was about having fun, skydiving. Uh, but actually the, the older people who had tried pursuing all that fun were much more wistful. What's it all about? What's it all about? I don't know what it's all about. Uh, that, that is that last lady that's kind of haunted me since I heard her say it. And it strikes me and is an extraordinary thing that we have literally millions of people living in Britain who haven't got a clue what their life is about. People are lost. People are really lost. And so what does God have to say about that? Well, please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. And you'll find that on page uh, 1048 in the church Bibles. Page 1048, Luke chapter 15. 
Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering round to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the youngest son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father's killed the fattened calf because he, is, because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry 
and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is God's word. Please keep that open. You could summarize this chapter with one sentence. Lost people matter to God and they should matter to us. I don't remember where I first heard that phrase. It sounds like something that Bill Hybels would say, so maybe I heard it from him. But it's always stuck in my head. Lost people. And he, is, he has met Jesus and his life has been changed. And Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. This is why Jesus came. To seek and save the lost. This is what God is like. God took on human flesh and came in the Lord Jesus so that... Um, He would reveal God to us and that he would redeem us to God through the ransom of his own sacrifice upon the cross so that our sin and our rebellion could be forgiven. This is what God is like. And the third parable assures us of God's attitude to those who repent. The younger son finally wakes up and uh, remembers that even the least of his servants back home have a better time than he's having. And so he, he turns for home. He changes direction. He leaves his sad and sorry state and heads for home. That's what repentance is. And he's got a, a well-rehearsed speech, verse 18. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he gets up and went to the Father. And and, and here we see the passion and concern of God in the passion and concern of the Father. There hasn't been a day, in a sense, where the Father's not been looking to the distant horizon, wondering if today his son will come home. goes on, but while he was still a long way off, his Father saw him. He knew him, even a long way off. He knew he was heading home. And he was filled with compassion for him. This is the heart of God for the lost. Filled with compassion. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son begins the speech, but the father won't let him finish, will he? Quick, bring the best robe. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Let's kill the best bit of meat and have a party. For my son was dead and is alive again. Do we get the point? Lost people matter to God. Isn't it clear from this chapter? Well, that's a small reflection of the great joy of heaven every time a sinner repents. Now, I don't know what joy looks like for you. 
What does joy look like for you? I don't know. We tried smiling earlier. There was a beginning point of it. Uh, for me, I have to confess, one of the things that really fires me up is rugby. And uh, I have the happy joy of being a Welsh supporter. So there's a lot of joy to be had being a Welsh supporter. I pity the rest of you, but if you're Welsh, you're very happy. I, 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 but, but because I'm a missionary from Wales, I won't talk about the last two championships. Let, let's go back to 1999 when Scotland won the Five Nations Championship. Do you remember that? It was a long time ago, wasn't it? But let's, let's remember that. Scotland won the championship in 1999. And do you know what? In part, it was, it was down to points difference. And in large part, it was down to Wales. It was the final game between Wales and England. England were due to get the Grand Slam. <laughs> and actually, they were winning all the way. England were... were Wales were trailing behind the whole match until in the dying seconds of the game, Scott Gibbs got the ball. And he did his dinking around, threw off five tackles, put the ball down, and then it was finally down to Neil Jenkins to kick. And we watched with bated breath as Neil put the ball down. And this bit of leather sailed through the post. And Wales beat England at 32 31, and the Welsh nation went crazy. There was joy. And even the Scottish nation went crazy for a Welsh team because through that, you won the championship. Now, that, I tell you what, if you want to see joy, come around my house when I re-watch the Wales-England game from last year. But you know what? That is just the, the palest reflection of heaven's joy and delight when one sinner Repents, do we get that? Do you know what? Heaven's joy is our mission this year. Our mission this year is that heaven would be celebrating right through this year. There's a terrible myth out there today that says something like this. Oh, you know, uh, God is a God of love. Uh, God is, is a God of tolerance. And he'll accept you just the way you are. You don't have to do anything. Doesn't matter what you do, you're accepted and loved. It's a myth that's in the media. You'll hear it a lot. And I want to tell you, it's not what the Bible says. God is loving. God is forgiving. God is long-suffering in his patience. But he will not take us happily engaged in all our sinful activity. God's loving acceptance and joy is when a sinner does what? Repent. The way back to God is through repentance. We must turn from our sin to lay hold of the forgiveness that Jesus Christ gives. And to all who will repent... Heaven is rejoicing. The Father's compassion goes out to, to grab hold of them. In fact, the Father is engaged in actively going out to seek the lost. Uh, that is the truth that we are full of joy at. People are lost. Lost people matter to God. And the third point is quite simply this. Lost people should matter to us. Now, if we told these stories, we probably would have ended at verse 24 with the, with the party. Everyone feasting and celebrating at the son's home. But um, 
Jesus goes on to tell about the reaction of the eldest son to his returning brother. And actually, this last part of the parable is actually the main reason that Jesus told these parables. What's the message that God wants us to hear today? Well, to answer that, we need to understand the the, the context of why Jesus said these parables. So look at the opening verses, verses 1 and 2 again. Now the tax collectors, now remember in those days, these were despised people. It was a crooked business, not like today. People used to cheat to collect the money. They were hated in their community. They were collaborators with the occupying powers. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering round to hear him. So there's Jesus. He's got a crowd of kind of the despised folk. Um, And and then it's uh, beyond that, you've got the religious crowd. Verse 2, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are looking on this and they are muttering, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And you can see what they're thinking. Why would Jesus mix with this sort of people? Why would he risk himself becoming ceremonially unclean? Why does he even have meals with them? These are irreligious people. They're dubious people. Uh, He must be condoning their sin. He must be lowering God's standards. Oh yes, this showed up Jesus in, in the true colors in their way of thinking. That he would associate with such people. They would never be seen dead with such people. Uh, you know, they wouldn't be seen with sinners. They were holy. They were separate. They were the ones who knew what God wanted. And so they muttered against him. But the big sting in this story is quite simply this. That those who were religious, who thought that they were right with God, were those whose hearts were far off from God. Their priorities, their values that they thought were God-centered, actually were not. They were completely off track with God, while at the same time thinking that they were completely right with God. Lost people matter to God, and so they should matter to us. And so my question to us at Charlotte Chapel is, do lost people matter to us? And I wonder how much are we like the older son in this story? It is, it is actually a story of two sons, isn't it? The younger son was separated from his father by his own actions in the far off country, living it up. But the older son, was, who was still at home, actually was just as separated from his father, even though he was on the farm. Outwardly, he looked industrious, dutiful, and conscientious. Yet inwardly, he was just bitter. And that bitterness was exposed when his brother was returned. And at the root of his reaction, again, is is self-love. He was self-sufficient. He was filled with his own self-importance, wasn't he? And he holds before us a mirror that is a scary thing to look at. That we can be doing all the right things and look like we really know God, but actually it's just an empty sham because we don't share our Heavenly Father's heart for the lost. You know, when the elder son returned to hear about the party for his brother, he could have said this, that's fantastic. Dad will be so thrilled. He's been longing for him to come home. 
Oh, this has been an answer to our prayers. I can't wait to see Dad's face. He could have said that, couldn't he? But actually his response is verse 28. He became angry. He refused to go in. So you've got the dad again once more going out to meet. This is the heart of God. You know, if we're in this sad state, the father would come to us and say, and say these things. He pleaded with him. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you, says the son, and you've and never disobeyed your orders. But the father says, verse 31, My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. When we stop seeking to befriend and welcome the lost and instead become those who mutter and are unhappy because things in church aren't exactly the way it suits us, it is a thermometer of our souls that our relationship with God is distant and cold. It means actually that we're not mature Christians who are Christ-like because Christ came to seek and save the lost. And so if we're like Christ, we will be like those who seek and save the lost. And this boy who never left home, who was busy working on the farm, was just as separated from his dad, and he'd forgotten the priorities. And it's a challenge to me. Lost people matter to God. Do lost people matter to us? I wonder what is our reaction when uh, new people come to our church. Are we looking for ways to make them welcome, to befriend them, and point them to Christ? Or are we just annoyed when they sit in our seat? What's our response? Uh, A church um, youth leader who works in the east end of Glasgow told me of one Christmas when five minutes before the carol service, a large crowd of hooded youths appeared out of the gloom and started walking in the general direction of the church. And one of the church leaders on the door with him turned to him and said, Quick, shut the door. They might want to come in. And my friend said, look, I invited them to come. If lost people don't matter to us, then what should we do? We should repent. We should turn back to God and ask that he would change our hearts, that our hearts would be like his heart. And my guess is that if you're a cure as a Christian today, um, you want to share God's heart for the lost, but sometimes you feel just a bit hopeless about actually doing it. And I think that's why I'm so excited about this uh, resource, the word one-to-one. People are a long way back from ever wanting to come to church. I think, is that not dawning on us? An invitation to church is not really that exciting for people. Have you sensed that? Uh, I've tried it a few times. Not one person said, oh, I've just been waiting for someone to invite me. Thank you so much. It's not happened to me yet. But actually, people are kind of intrigued about what the Bible, what does it say? And maybe there are ways that we could be heading out in this year ahead and praying for opportunities to say to people and find ways saying, look, have you ever looked at the Bible? 
Would you like to give it a try? Just one go with me? See what it has to say? All you have to be able to do is read. That's all the required. You don't need any training. It's all there. Just, you just read it. Uh, and I think that could be a very encouraging thing. I think this chap Richard who's done it with hundreds of people has only had two people in the whole time who's ever said no to coming back and doing it a second time. After each session, you'll stop and say, did you enjoy that? Would you like to do it again? And you'll keep asking that session after session. And who knows? Maybe this year our job is to bring people closer to Jesus, like that crowd around Jesus. They delighted to hear what he had to say. People have never really heard what Jesus had to say. Maybe our first part in, in, in being those who are going after to seek and to save the lost is just to bring people closer to Jesus that they may hear what he has to say. And it may take some time before they ever, ever think about darkening the door of this church. But I can guarantee it, unless we're, we're those who are out there seeking actively to uh, find ways to connect with people, they will never come here and they will never come to our Glad You Asked courses or our Christianity Explored courses and the like. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? What's the answer? Yes. And the truth is, we're living uh, at a time where basically we have one sheep safe and sound and there's 99 wandering the hills. Here's a question. Suppose one of you has 100 sheep and loses 99 of them. Does he leave the one in the open country and go after the 99 lost sheep until he finds it? Oh, I think he definitely would, wouldn't he? And actually, that's why the Lord's put us here. Um... If you're here not as a Christian, I want to say, if you repent of your sin and turn to Christ, God will receive you this very day. You could be welcomed home. You could be the cause of heaven's rejoicing this very day if you will uh, say sorry for the ways that you've walked away from God. To say thank you for his death for you upon the cross. And say, please, would you forgive me and change me and help me live for you. You could say that today. Sorry, Thank you, please. You could come to uh, know God's forgiveness this very day. And my Christian friends, I, I, I wonder, you know, I, I have to say this wasn't the original verse for this, this year. I'd had a big verse about us being transitioning out of this building. But that doesn't look like it's quite going to happen this year, perhaps. But in a sense, while the building plans have changed, the mission hasn't changed. And this may yet be the most fruitful year for us as a church. If we ask the Lord to give us a heart, his heart, to be those who go and seek and save the lost as we connect people to the Lord Jesus Christ. And friends, we have a great and glorious goal this year to keep heaven joyful as we go out and do this work, knowing that Christ goes ahead of us. I know some people have said, you know what, Paul? Uh, we've tried this and nothing happens. We've tried some of our neighbors and there's no interest. Um, 
There's no one else to invite. A friend of mine has just, um, he's working on a book, he's asked me to read it, and, I, and there's a great illustration in it which I want to share with you. And uh, he says, suppose we um, could go down to the local airport and there's the left luggage boxes. There's a hundred of them. And I give you the master key. And I say, look, it won't open all the boxes, but we'll open some of the boxes. And in there, there's lots of money. And if you can open the box, you can get to keep all that money. Can you imagine that? Now, let's imagine you go to the first two or three boxes and you try it and nothing happens. Do you just say, oh, this is useless. I'm giving up. There's no point. We've tried, we've tried three boxes. Would you say that? Would you? No way. You'd be going, great, much more chance next time. I reckon this time it's going to work. And actually, uh, you would probably go back to the ones that uh, didn't seem to work the first time and give them another go just in case that they will open. Do you know what? The gospel is the key that will save people in this city. There are people who are desperate to hear the gospel. They don't know it. But when they hear it, God is going to use it to save them. And so, okay, we've given a few things and it hasn't quite worked out. Do you know what? The Lord's going to lead us to the next one where it is. This is how powerful the gospel is. May he give us his heart for the lost in 2014. Let's pray.